I will pray, and then we'll look at our, mention our verses, we'll define burnout again, and uh, then we'll get back to this. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for um, bringing us here. This morning, I pray for all who are still on the way that you would uh, provide them with uh, safety on their way here, or we look forward to uh, the Sunday school hour and for gathered worship um, after that. And Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to commune with us um, by your word and spirit, working in our hearts to uh, put to death the old man, to put to death sin and selfishness and unrighteousness and to put to lot to put on to to bring to life um, righteousness and holiness and godliness in our hearts it's in jesus name i pray amen Um, therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author, or rather the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is Hebrews 12, as you know. And then uh, one, one other orienting text we've gone over acts 20 24 paul says i do not uh, count my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only i may finish my course and the ministry that i received from the lord jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of god so once again we are confronted by the reality that there is a course and a ministry for the people of god that He has given to us, that we are called to run well and to run to the end. And so what we are attempting to do in this class is to set ourselves up for success in that endeavor. We have a world that conspires, the world, the flesh, and the devil conspire together against us to prevent us from doing such. And so we want to remind ourselves of certain truths to establish hope in our hearts, to build uh, practices and principles that will help us to to beat burnout, as we said. And so far, the the most coherent, I think, definition, even even though it certainly can use some explaining that we've come up with. I think this is where we landed last week: is that burnout is the failure to fulfill God-given obligations because of both circumstance and choice, and is attended by increasingly negative consequences in our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. Yeah, And so, this is what we're trying to avoid. And even if we might push back and say, this is exactly how we define burnout, this is what we're trying to avoid. This is what we're trying to beat. So even if burnout's not the best word for it, that's what we're trying to, to beat. And so last week, we spent some time looking at the various life circumstances that can come upon us to um, make it much easier to fall into this. It makes it harder to finish the course to run the, the race well. We saw, um, and these are things that while some of them 
could, we can bring some of these upon ourselves. We're talking about them in the sense of external circumstances that come upon you that you really don't have any control over, at least not in their, the reception. You can, you can respond to them in certain ways, but illness, your genetics, um, the, the illness of another person that's close to you that you have to become a caregiver for, bereavement, loss, so not like death, but loss of, we said, right, employment or a marriage or a home or gain, right, to move, uh, right, we've got moving down here, but to get a bigger house, that's gain in a sense, to get a, a better job, there's gains, but there's stress that comes with those things, moving, conflict, and again, conflict often is almost always, uh, you know, two-sided in the normal course of life. But there are times when we are brought into conflict that really isn't of any fault of our own um, sin. And again, this is sin of other people, watching a, a parent or a mentor or a close friend fall into sin to, to, to turn away from, from grace at some level. Um, injustice in the world, various responsibilities, getting older. Um, why did I write the word bad? Oh, bad examples. Thank you. Bad. Hmm. Bad is, is, is harmful. Bad examples, right? So this is not so much like the, the sin of someone just falling into sin, but this is the type of examples that our parents, grandparents, that our teachers, pastors, whatever, have set for us, um, and then change, right? So um, I don't imagine, but does anyone have a thought or... Something that you've thought about this week, or you want to kick off with anything that before we look at choices? All right, cool. Yeah, so you can't, this is what this word bereavement, it's you can't tell that's what I wrote, but um, yeah, for sure. So choices, and what about our lifestyle choices? So we have lifestyle circumstances, or life circumstances, lifestyle choices. Um, Idolatry. Right? In particular, you might ask, with this class in mind, have I made an idol, say, out of my vocation? Have I set up my career as God... Do I look for my ultimate joy and satisfaction in, in my work or in just being productive? If it's not, you know, maybe even if you're not working outside of the home, is it? I run a tight ship at the house. The house is clean. The food is cooked. And the kids are tucked into bed and they've done their homework and all this stuff. Um, where's your ultimate joy, right? Or maybe it's just your family in general, right? Have you made your kids and their athletic pursuits the end-all, be-all? Or their academic abilities, right? Does, does your child making a, a B or a C or even failing an assignment bring your world crumbling down? Well, perhaps it's because you've, you've made an idol out of some of these things. So idolatry adds to the pressures, um, and some of these things will be, you know, they'll fit within categories, within categories. Greed, right, related to idolatry, is the pursuit of money or other material rewards. Is that it for you? Are you or is your family constantly chasing the almighty dollar? Would you, like, 
J.D. Rockefeller answer the question, how much is enough with just a little bit more? Related to greed, debt. Are you in substantial debt because of numerous credit cards and or personal loans? That will certainly add to the temptation to be anxious. Now, debt, we could say, mostly is often going to be a choice, but kind of bringing it back, back over here, debt, in one sense, could be a circumstance if it's, safe for hospitalization, right? Something that you didn't really, you couldn't really uh, avoid, and now you have medical bills, you're up, you know, up to your eyeballs in medical bills. So it can be sort of both and here. People-pleasing. Do you live and die in the eyes of other people? What about perfectionism? Are you constantly frustrated by your failure, failure to meet the unrealistic standards that you've set for yourself? Usually imagining them to be the unrealistic standards that other people have set for you. Pride. Uh, when, we, when we talked uh, two weeks ago, I think, about grace, is there a deficit of grace in your life? Is your life marked by work, whatever kind of work you're imagining here, work that aims to build your kingdom rather than God's. Uh, com- closely related to pride would be comparisons. Comparisons aren't bad all around, always, every time, in every sense, but how do you look at other people? Do you look at other people in such a way that promotes either despair or a sense of self-righteousness in you on kind of opposite ends? Do you, do you look at other people and say, man, I, I never be, I, if I, I'd never be like Derek. Just not ever going to be that great. And so now I'm, now I'm bummed out. Or perhaps you say, well, thankfully I'm not anything like Sam. Um, and then we become prideful. Well, we forget that other people aren't the standard. God is. Christ is. Which causes despair, but then the gospel that God has provided for despairing people brings hope. Um, what about enjoyment? Do you let good things become God things? A lack of discipline. I'll just write discipline here, but lack of discipline. Right? Are you a disorganized person? Are you a procrastinator? Are you addicted to many screens, to much food, to laying on the couch? Right? These are the types of things that will contribute significantly to a sense of, of burning out. Identity. Do you define who you are by your work? Right? Again, we've sort of already gone on your parenting, your sense of humor, your social status, your Instagram followers. Is Instagram still a thing? Yeah? Okay. Unbelief. Now, I'm talking to a room full of Christians, and so I don't mean the categorical unbelief of the unconverted but the unbelief of the person who lives as though there were no God. 
right, who faces in a moment the temptation to say, I am, I am what I am, right? Um, you know what, we could, what, what is it that, what are we forgetting, right? We're forgetting God in these moments. And so when we, when we live in unbelief, right, sort of the I believe, help my unbelief that was said to Jesus, are we just living in the unbelief part? Uh, diet? What do you eat? You, you know, you are what you eat, right? So do you overeat? Do you undereat? What do, what do you eat? Do you eat junk food? Do you eat, you know, meatless hamburgers? Whatever that is. You're clearly going to be a very unhappy person trying that. Not just, uh, not just like food diet, but like things, media diet, you could say. What do you subject not just your tummy to on a regular basis, but your, your eyes and your ears? What are the, the things that you're constantly putting before you? Laziness. Do you refuse to do unpleasant tasks? Do you exercise or not? Are you sitting or laying down most of the time? Now, whether you're a lazy person or not, the sitting or laying down most of the time is probably pretty true for many people in the West, right? We have a very sedentary society that you, you sat in, I mean, at a minimum, I don't know how much you sat at home before you left, but you sat in your car on the way here. You are sitting in your seats now. You'll stand up a minute or two, you know. 15, 20 minutes tops after Sunday school, but then you'll be sitting again, then you'll be back in your car, then you'll be eating, and, and we're always sitting. We're just addicted to sitting. Sitting is, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was thinking that. Sitting is the, the new smoking, right? And, um, and so, um, do you embrace that full on, or do you ever make it a point to stand when you could sit? Um, if any of you st- stands up now, I'm not going, you know, if you walk out of the room, I might take offense to it, but if you just stand up, no problems. Conscience. So this is um, maybe a little tricky, but I think um, we'll explain it. This is the, the last one that we'll, we'll mention here under, under choices. Are you living with unconfessed sin, unmortified sin? Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever uh, covers sin cannot prosper. Now, guilt is good unless we do nothing with it. Right? Now, there is such a thing as false guilt, which is always bad. But guilt that spurs us on to confess and turn from our sins is a good thing. And so, we have these various choices here that we've made that depending on which side of the, the spectrum we are on any of these things, it can contribute to this sense of burning out. So, anybody have any, any thoughts there? I'm going to move on to the, the next little bit here, but if you've got some thoughts, please share them. And again, like I said, I don't imagine that for most of you, you'll look at this list and say, yes, there is one or two things on here that is just wrecking my life, 
And if I can just fix that, then everything will be better. Most of us are going to look at this list and say, either, right, you'll say, well, presently I don't, I don't believe I'm burning out, and so I actually don't find most of these things to be negatively affecting me. But I do realize how they could, especially if a lot of these start to pile up and then you add a couple of bad choices, and on it can go. Or maybe you look at the list and you say, are you reading my journals, right? Like, uh, this, this is my life. If so, um, I'm sorry. Uh, but there is hope, and that's we, you know, what the class is for. But again, it's probably a combination of these things or other types, other things like these that maybe we haven't specifically mentioned. This is just giving us a general idea. But for us, or just people in general, it's usually a combination of many small factors that... Um, that add up. There's a, a great scene in the office where Jim and Dwight, you know, if you know the office at all, they're constantly fighting one another and, and um, not fist fighting each other, but pranking. Jim is always pranking Dwight or whatever, and, and, uh, and Dwight, he's had enough. And so he storms into Michael's office, and he, he, he's got this list of complaints, and he's going through, and Michael's just reading them off one at a time. And it's like, Jim had, you know, my desk at the end of the day was two, clo- two three inches closer to the bathroom. And uh, I grabbed the phone and I knocked myself in the head. And because of things, you know, Jim's doing these things. And it cuts to a scene. It's listed a bunch of them. And Jim says, you know, when you list these things one right after another, they don't, like, they're not that funny. But he does deserve it. And I always, for some reason, that scene to me, I always connect with the way that little things can pile up, right? Like when you... Like, if you just list certain things, it just kind of sounds silly sometimes, right? Like, oh, it's just a bunch of little things. I just, but when they, when they do pile up, you realize that um, they can have a pretty devastating effect. So any, any thoughts here before we, before we press on? And that's a great point in that, you know, the, the reality is that when we start to feel this, this burnout, often our initial fleshly response is what? Is to double down on some of these things, right? We might not even quite realize that's what we're doing, but we, will, we, sit, we add to it, and then it just compounds the problem. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, it's a feedback loop is what you get into. I talk about this in counseling a lot with couples, is that you end up in, in this uh, cycle, right, where in this case, you know, I'm thinking if it's counseling, I've got two, those are hearts, uh, two hearts where, you know, one person acts and it brings about some type of, you know, change or effect or response in the person. And then this person responds in such a way that kind of just causes you to keep doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. And, and as unpleasant as it is, it's, it's very often comfortable because we know what to expect, right? When I raise my voice, which I don't like doing, but I know that she's going to stop talking. Right? Or something like that, right? Like, and there's fallout from it, but I know what to expect. Um, that, that's kind of in relationships. It's sort of a similar thing that in, in our lives, we say, well, when I spend more money on the credit card, I know what's going to happen. Like, I know deep down that isn't going to get me out of debt. If someone could tell our federal government that, that would be great. But. But we do, right? We think if I just borrow a little bit more money, then I can, do the, I can make the right choice with it this time. And that's going to change. But, but I don't. So 
these things, they pile up, they add up, and then we end up just sort of doubling down often. What it takes is a radical break with this cycle, which is kind of what we're getting to. Derek. Okay. Um, so they would be uh, both, right? I mean, there, there are circumstances that arise from having kids. What? Blessings, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, certainly, yeah. So uh, I think last week we mentioned, I think, in the gain part, I added, you know, I said, you know, I mentioned having kids is, is a gain, but the choice to realize that they, you know, growing your family is, is a choice, right? It is a, a choice that you make at, at one level or, or another. And again, I, why I think it's good to have gain up here is that I'm not just talking about bad things, right? Now, in this list, most of them are bad, but when you have enough, I mean, even over here, circumstances, responsibilities, at some level, there are choices involved there, right? And so this isn't like always the cleanest you know, list of, you know, the difference isn't just this perfect line down that there are circumstances and there are choices and there, you know, the twain, the two shall meet, right? Um, there are certain things that are purely circumstantial and there are certain things that are purely volitional choices that you made, but most of the time there are things that are maybe somewhere in the middle and it's a combination of things. And so good things and bad things add to this list, I think, the reality is what we want to try to do is to say no to as many bad things as we can, you know, at least on the choice side, to get rid of the bad things over here, prayerfully depend upon God and hope that the bad things over here will be minor or at least will be, have the strength to endure them. And then even beyond that, with things like responsibility, gain, is to learn how to say no to good things so that you can say yes to better things, right? And that is hard. (laughs) Okay, so let me shift to my, uh, perhaps what I hope in my mind might be the most exciting in a few weeks here. I want to, uh, I want to talk about um, the digital landscape. We didn't really put that up here so much, but I want to talk about that for a bit. And I want to do that by introducing a short story by Ray Bradbury. So uh, Casey Fields isn't here, uh, right? Yeah, so uh, she is actually the one who told me about this short story. I'd never heard of it before a few weeks ago. She said, hey, you need to read something called The, the Veld by Ray Bradbury. V-E-L-D-T. Veld is a, um, uh, it's, it's like a, landscape sort of thing, I guess. It's like an African veld is how it gets used. So it's this African setting that I will explain in a second. Um, So uh, credit to her and uh, credit to Ray Bradbury. So Ray Bradbury, if you're not familiar, wrote Fahrenheit 51, uh, 451, sorry. And, um, uh, you know, he wrote uh, in the the 50s. So a lot of the things that he writes are uh, nearly prophetic, (laughs) Um, and so this short story called The Veld um, is a, it's, it's about, um, and I'm not going to, I'm, try, I'm going to try not to spoil it for you because it is a pretty fascinating read. It's pretty short. You could easily read it this afternoon if you wanted. 
Uh, so I'm not going to tell you the ending, but I do want to set it up with two conversations. And so um, before the conversations, uh, it's about uh, two parents, George and Lydia. And they, um, their last, they're Hadleys, George and Lydia Hadley. They live a life of leisure in a fully automated house called the Happy Life Home. Now, early in the story, they become quite concerned with their children, Peter and Wendy, and, they, uh, and their children's fascination with the nursery in the home. Now, the nursery is a virtual reality room that can recreate any desired scenario, and it will allow you to live in it. George and Lydia are so concerned by their children's obsession with this nursery. So they go, the children go to this nursery, and they spend, they spend all their time there. And increasingly, it, uh, it, it's the setting in this nursery is this, this, kind of, um, this kind of African savanna or whatever, right? That it's, and there are lions, and there's, it's all kinds of things, and it's hot. And, and they're confused about why it is this way. They become so concerned, and... Because it also gets stuck on this, it's stuck on the setting. It's not just that's what they do, but even when the kids leave, the setting is still this African veil. It's complete with, like I said, prowling lions, and so they call in a psychologist named David. And David advises the Hadleys to shut down the happy life home and to live self-sufficiently. So that's, in terms of the, the story, that's as much as I'll share with you. Um, if you read it, it's pretty wild, um, and like I said, nearly prophetic. But I do want to share two conversations that take place, one between George and Lydia and one between um, George and David that I think will serve well to set up the next few weeks of our time together in class. The, the conversation between George and Lydia occurs between them before... Uh, they are fully convinced of their need to do anything extreme with the nursery, like shut it down. Um, or they, they haven't decided to call the psychologist yet, um, but they are growing concerned. The other conversation is one that occurs between George and David, where David advises him, you, you need to shut this thing down. So here's the first conversation. Uh, and this starts with Lydia. She says, I don't know. I don't know, she said, blowing her nose, sitting down in a chair that immediately began to rock and comfort her. Maybe I don't have enough to do. Maybe I have time to think too much. Why don't we shut the whole house off for a few days and take a vacation? You mean you want to fry my eggs for me? Yes, she nodded. And, and damn my socks? Yes, a frantic, watery-eyed nodding. And sweep the house? Yes, yes, oh, yes. But I thought that's why we bought this house, so we wouldn't have to do anything. That's just it. I don't feel like I belong here. This, the house is wife and mother now, and nursemaid. Can I compete with an African veld? Can I give a bath and scrub the children as efficiently or as quickly as the automatic scrub bath can, I cannot. And it isn't just me. It's you. You've been awfully nervous lately. I suppose I have been smoking too much. You look as if you don't know what to do with yourself in this house, either. You smoke a little more every morning and drink a little more every afternoon and need a little more sedative every night. You're beginning to feel unnecessary, too. So that's the first conversation. Second conversation. 
uh, starts off David speaking to George. He says, you've let this room and this house replace you and your wife in your children's affections. This room is their mother and father, far more important in their lives than their real parents. And now you come along and want to shut it off. No wonder there's hatred there. So they had mentioned possibly shutting off to the kids, and obviously the kids exploded, basically. He says, you, you feel it coming out of the sky. Feel that sun. George, you'll have to change your life. Like too many others, you've built it around creature comforts. Why, you'd starve tomorrow if something went wrong in your kitchen. You wouldn't know, uh, you wouldn't know how to tap an egg. Nevertheless, turn everything off. Start new. It'll take time. We'll make good children out of we'll make good children out of bad in a year. Wait and see. But won't the shock be too much for the children, shutting the room up abruptly for good? I don't want them going in any deeper into this, that's all. And this is a not a quote, but Bradbury right. The lions, so they're in the veld having this conversation. The lions were finished with their red feast. The lions were standing on the edge of the clearing watching the two men. Now I'm feeling persecuted, said McLean. Let's get out of here. I never have cared for these rooms. They make me nervous. The lions look real, don't they, said George Hadley. I don't suppose there's any way, what, that they could become real? Not that I know. Some flaw in the machinery, a a tampering or something? No. They went to the door. George says, I don't imagine the room will like being turned off. Nothing ever likes to die, even a room. So there are two main ideas that I want to set before you, uh, at least two. Maybe we'll come up with more, but at least two in the next few weeks. But I think these two conversations set up for us. Right. Um, the first is that the the digital landscape in which we live, um, it has a tendency to draw us into greater degrees of dependence upon it. Right. We are drawn ever more into needing these things in order to perhaps even survive or to feel. Sane. This was Miss Hadley's problem, right? I'm not. I. I, I can't. I, all of these things are done for me. I have nothing to do. I'm becoming useless, and so are you, George. The second thing, illustrated in the second conversation, is that because of the way that these things have been designed, and I'm thinking very much about our screens, right? Our our smartphones, because of how they've been designed, it is much more difficult to disengage from them than we probably realize. In other words, the world in which we as 21st century Americans live is much more intentionally designed by people other than us. It's much more intentionally designed by them than we realize and For anyone who wishes to live a life that is not so heavily influenced by these people, the road to freedom is fraught with more danger than he or she realizes. So uh, I've got another, uh, a few quotes that I want to give you from someone else, but I just want to get a a thought 
or two on that, just on the... And I know it's, it's not always easy. You're listening to me read a dialogue from, you know, three different people at different times in a book or a short story that you haven't read. But thoughts on, on those two ideas? Yeah, absolutely. And so there's this fine line to walk where, on the one hand, we ought to and should pursue technological advancements to make our jobs more effective, right? Simply working harder isn't necessarily a virtue, right? Working, right? Dad, what did you say to me all the time? Work smarter, not harder, right? That just because I'm making the job, the job is difficult, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing a good thing. If I can find an, an easier, more effective way to do it, that very well may be great. But we have to be able to also ask, like, what are the unintended consequences from doing these things? Now, and we'll talk about this more as we go, but people will often compare, uh, like, smartphones to hammers or something like that, right? A tool is a tool. The only thing that matters is how you use it. And what I hope to argue is that while I don't believe that smartphones or anything like that are inherently wrong or sinful by any stretch of the imagination, I do think that there is something different about the effect, right, that the digital landscape that we live in has on us than a world of hammers. I think that's, but, because ultimately, and this is a point we'll make, that um, things are invented, inventions are are discovered and made in a context, in a society that has certain values, right? The hammer was invented for a particular purpose, right? Now, you can use it in different ways, but it was invented for something. So was the pencil and a chair and a smartphone. Now, they all can have good and bad consequences, and at some level, it's about managing those things, and hopefully, you know, we want to get rid of the negative consequences and, and enjoy the positive ones, but I, I think that with how quickly the technological digital age in particular is advancing, it's been much harder for us as a society to ask that question of these things than perhaps at other times before, right? I mean, I'm no hit, like, expert historian or anything like that, but I think if you consider the, the rate at which technolo- technology advanced in the last 30 years compared to like any other set of 30 years before that, as far as we know, right, there's a pretty significant difference. And so the, the speed at which these things change. So um, there's a, a book that I will um, am presently reading through, so I haven't finished it yet, but I'll, I'll go ahead and recommend it to you. It's called Restless Devices by uh, Felicia Wu Song. And uh, in the, the subtitle, it's Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the, in the Digital Age. I've, I've probably only read about a third of it so far, but it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. I want to close the class this morning and the next few minutes with, um, let's see, one quote from her, and then we'll, we'll pick up there next week. So, um, so in this book, she writes, When the mobile, social, and infinitely novel aspects of the contemporary digital experience are mixed together, the result is a psychological cocktail of pleasures, anxieties, and felt expectations. There is a soft tyranny that persistently feeds our desires to check one's email, peek at one's Instagram, tweet one more remark, 
and respond to one more text. Indeed, with our devices in our possession, the promise of fulfillment, completion, and emotional connection feels ever within our reach. And so, that's sort of the initial question. What is it that our phones in particular, what do they promise to us? And, and that's it, right? I think that's it, right? There's, there are other smaller promises, but what it's come to amount to in our lives is the promise of fulfillment, completion, and emotional connection always being within your reach. Even when your phone is off, it's only a few clicks away. And so, what's that? They turn off. They don't like it. Um, so, uh, oh, I messed this thing up again. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll end there, but thoughts? Yeah, it's, 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 it's difficult. I, I, um, do you mind, Becky, if I share the story you told me the other day, kind of vaguely? Becky, had, I guess, had mentioned to someone something about our church or whatever, and the person had said something about, oh, well, what's, what's your pastor's name or whatever? I'm going to find him on uh, Facebook or, or whatever. And she was like, well, he doesn't have one. Um, and apparently it was, it was this, like, very strange moment, right? Like, oh, pastor doesn't have a... Does he have a pulse? Like, the person didn't say that. But it's like that's the kind of thing that we increasingly find. Look, whether you have a Facebook or not, but to the point of choosing not to be connected in this metaverse thing that we're increasingly becoming a part of is difficult. And it, and it, it sort of leaves you sometimes that, like, feeling left out, right? Like, there are people that I realize I will never talk to again because I don't have a Facebook. Now, I wasn't very good at using Facebook, so I don't know how much I talked to them before, but that's just a, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And so realizing there are things we give up when we limit ourselves here, right? And the whole thing is not an outright rejection. I mean, I, Russ said earlier that I have a flip phone, but, like, I don't. Like, I do have a, uh, an iPhone, but, like, and I still, like, this is not, I'm not preaching at anybody about this. I'm preaching at, if, if anyone, it's myself, that this, I feel the allure of this. And maybe you don't. And if not, praise God. You're like, look, Sam, I've got one. I can use it. It's fine. But it's really, wonderful. Keep on keeping on and help me. <laughs> this is just a cry for help, really. But, um, all right, Tristan, then let me pray and we'll be done. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. The, uh, the, the, the eaten, the, bit, the bite of fruit. Um, all right, so we'll, we're, I hope to spend some time here in October talking about these things, and then we'll get into... Uh, so remember, this, this, all this stuff, a lot of it's being built on the backbone of David Murray's book, Reset, and then his wife and his book, Refresh. We're kind of taking a break from that. We're going to talk about some of this stuff for a little bit. Hopefully you find it at least interesting and, and thought-provoking. Please give feedback, and then we will... Um, hop back into uh, his book to go over the, some, some steps for it. Let me pray. Father, thanks for your word. And I pray that you would help us today as we gather for worship. We look forward to um, communing together uh, 
under your word, and, and we pray that it would bless us and, um, and shape us and conform us into the image of Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.